The world of e-commerce can be tricky, and that's why you need the experts to help take you to the next level. This is Delivering E-Commerce, and this is Chris Parsons. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Delivering E-Commerce. I'm your host, Chris Parsons, and I'm very lucky to have Tamara Zames with me today from NPD. Tamara, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Chris. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for taking some time out of your evening uh, when you could be riding the Peloton bike or doing something else. But I appreciate you um, going to educate our audience on some trends in our industry. So very excited about this conversation. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Tamara, can we start off with your background and how you started out your career and how you are where you are today? Yeah, so this is interesting conversation because I normally don't talk about myself that often. So yeah, the main thing is when I start to think about my journey, it's interesting because it's very unconventional when we think of the role that I'm in today and how I got here. I come from the fashion background and the fashion industry, and I can say that my journey started I don't know, my preteens, I was that girl that had magazines upon magazines. I kept them until I moved out of my parents' house. And they're like, these are either going in the garbage or you're going to take them with you. And I was obsessed with anything that had to do with fashion. So I was researching, constantly looking at what's going on. But the interesting thing is this was also the rise of the internet. And I started becoming ingrained with, I think it was style.com at the time, where it was essentially just pictures of parties that were happening behind the scenes and fashion articles. And they were showing all of the images from runway shows. And I just became fully submersed in that experience. When it came time to graduate high school and go into college, university, I knew that fashion was my direction. I didn't know what I was going to do in fashion. And I think everyone needs to understand, you don't necessarily need to know I'm going to be X, Y, and Z. I just knew the industry that I thought I had this passion for, and it was going to lead me to success. So I went and I actually went to design school. So for fashion design, which was very interesting if you look at where I am today, which has nothing to do with fashion design. And I remember in the class as early as I think it was like first or second year, the teacher saying, everyone raise your hand if you feel like you, you want to be a fashion designer. And I was the only one in the room that did not raise my hand. And you could think that's quite silly. Why be in design school if you have no intention of being a fashion designer? At this time, there was the rise of the fashion stylists and the Rachel Zoes of the world. And that's where I saw myself and I thought, I need to know the inner workings of how clothing are made, being able to get into the trenches myself, if this is what I want to do. So I graduated after three years at LaSalle College in Montreal. I'm from Toronto and went to school in Montreal. And I had come back to Toronto. And at the time, I really didn't know, again, my path, where I was going to go. But I got this opportunity to be a visual merchandiser at a retail store. And that's when retail came into my life. Yes, we had all worked retail throughout, you know, our teen years, but this is where I got to kind of learn a little bit more about retail. I was doing all the visual merchandising, the window displays, and I was watching what consumers were doing, what they were purchasing, noticing how I would dress the mannequins and how they were uh, admired the styling. And then I thought, okay, this is interesting. And that led me to pursue my dream of that fashion stylist. And I went and I pivoted to follow my dream. I think it was about a year or two into styling, I'd realized 
this might have been my dream, but I didn't agree with the lifestyle. And that was because freelancing just didn't work for me. When I think about my journey, there are some significant moments and periods of time where I've had light bulb moments or realized things about myself or people who've come into my life for a reason. And this was one of them. I was assisting a pretty a top stylist in the city of Toronto, and I saw her lifestyle and I said, this is not what I foresee for myself. I didn't want that lifestyle. And I had all of these technical skills that I learned in design school that I wasn't applying. So here I was thinking this was my dream, finally living this dream and realizing maybe my dream is not my dream after all, which was okay. And we grow and we learn. And I got this opportunity to essentially uh, be a product developer uh, for a company that designs and develops outerwear and private label and branded for a lot of the mass and department stores in Canada. And I was there for quite some time when another opportunity came knocking at my door. And you're going to notice this path where I never really say no. Um, Things come into my life for a reason. And and I like to entertain them, see what they're about. And at the time that this opportunity came, it was to move back to Montreal and to be a head designer at a company called Triple Five. And when I think of where my personal life was at the time that this opportunity came, I'd just been dating my now husband for maybe a year and a half. And here I am moving cities to do a long distance relationship. And I said, I can't not do this. Like this is a career pivoting move. And why it's so important. I think that role, it was a sink or swim. Now, I'm not going to say that it was all perfection. I think for a year that I was at that role, I cried every day in the bathroom, but it was the most exhilarating experience when I think back to it because I had to learn and learn fast. I remember showing up a second day on the job and they say to me, so your collection has to be designed and where is it? And I'm thinking I've been here for two days and I have to put an entire collection together. And the owner of the company, uh, it was a family owned company, and they had this mentality that I remember them saying to me specifically, if a vendor comes back to you with questions, you didn't do your job right. So at this time in my life, my work ethic was that's where it was built. You know, all those skills that I developed growing up and, and through my childhood, this is where it was put to the test and challenged. I also remember him saying to me, you know, really specific things like, you don't know that style number off by heart or what's ETA. And if I had to go look at my computer, I was being challenged. And so that's where a lot of those skills in my life, but also working with the retailers. So I was designing, but I was also doing part of the selling and creating collections in in partnership with some of the top retailers in Canada. So another pivot into my life, you know, I'm doing this long distance and crying every day in the bathroom for a year. I think something's got to give. And I moved back to Toronto and I moved back and started working for the company that I was doing product development design for, but at a more senior role. And this is where I took on the role at uh, merchandising and designing. And through that role, I stayed there for about six years. And that's where I can say I just absorbed everything like a sponge and I really built up what enabled me to do my job today. And over those six years, I'd worked with all of the top retailers in Canada. Uh, We developed multiple collections. At one time, I think I was designing about 15 on hand, working with our our product development team, our graphic artist team, um, our analysts. 
and traveling the world. We were traveling to Europe two, three times a year, traveling overseas. And the interesting thing was when we were there and and the thing with product development and creative direction is you start to triangulate ideas. So, you know, we're talking about pivoting and where it led me to my career. There is this idea that I was constantly absorbing information and triangulating it. And when I was over, you know, in Europe, pulling collections together, I would look at what the consumers were buying, what the market was showing and bringing ideas and bring them to Marketing Canada. And that's where I became, I would say, like I found my passion and my passion was essentially forecasting, trend forecasting and triangulating and understanding where the market is going. And I remember presenting to some of the top retailers in Canada, our collection and our ideas and what these trends were. And that's when things started to change because that was about, I want to say seven, five, six years ago, seven years ago. And the market was shifting from being market born to consumer born. And what I mean by that is that trends that we would identify were no longer being born through what the, you know, what designers were putting out. They were being born by what the consumer wanted. And that's when NPD came into my life. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love I love that uh, correlation of triangulating and taking your experience and then all of a sudden the light bulb moments start to happen and you you really decide what you want to have go forward with as a career. Um, similar kind of stories. You know, first I started at, um, we went to college for marketing and then went to pay for college. I worked at Future Shop. And at the same time, I also had another job working at Mark's Work Warehouse and um, running their stores. So while I'm trying to study and have two jobs full time, essentially, because I'm I'm working nights, I'm working weekends just to pay for everything. But I wasn't connecting the dots of how much I was learning that was going to shift and change my career and make me prepared for the stuff I do today. And I refer to Future Shop and the sales track and training often. But what I don't refer to is the great experience I had on the retail floor with Mark's Work Warehouse and dealing with customer service and dealing with problem solving and just all of these things that just you learn when you're on the floor. And now how I apply them, because I not only manage the e-commerce team, I manage the customer service team here. And I rely on so much of that knowledge, that on-floor knowledge that I gained as a young 20-something and bring it into now my 40s and running running e-commerce. So it's amazing how your career will teach you these these things throughout it. And then all of a sudden it clicks for one job and makes you just really strong and complete. Yeah. It's amazing. As I'm thinking about this, I was driving to pick up my daughter from daycare today and I'm thinking about my journey and each, I don't want to even call them jobs, but they were each little chapters of my life. And I loved how, when I thought back at why each moment came into my life for a reason and each person like there are people that had profound impact on my career today that probably don't even know it or had said something to me in passing that had really stuck with me and I really I I draw from that and I remember when I started NPD I've been at NPD now for five and a half years and Sandy Silva who was the director of apparel and footwear at the time had said to me like what do you want to do in five years? And I really found inspiration in a quote from Diane Furstenberg, who said, I don't know, you know, it was, I know who I want to be as a woman. And that I, I, I stay true to. 
through all of these pivots and moments I've had in my life, I always knew the type of person I wanted to be. I always knew what I wanted to stand for in the industry and the industry now being today retail, not so much even fashion. So it's interesting how we've watched my career. I have experienced my career just continuously evolve. So I'm not really a fan of when people ask the question, where do you see yourself in five years? Because if I think of myself five years ago, I was a completely different person and I didn't have the knowledge or the skills that I have today. But what I can say is the person who I wanted to be five years ago is the person I am today. And that I'm proud of. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I have conversations with Rob, my boss here, Rob Wallace, and we've talked about, you know, career growth, career development. And often we we ask both each other, where do we see ourselves in the next three to five years, what we'd like to be doing? And ultimately, the answer but that we both share in common is we'll go wherever the company needs us to be. It's not about now, you know, I want to be at a VP level or whatever in marketing. It's where am I the best fit for the organization at the time? And I'll jump in and do the best I can to support this business. And, and that comes with confidence. You can't say that if you don't have the experience and the confidence from, from learning over the num- last 20 years. But once you do and you understand merchandising, logistics, insights, and data, then, then you become so well-rounded that wherever the company needs you is the answer. And I think a lot of people want to stay focused in their, their silo. And <clears throat> if they can just get outside a little bit, it will actually make them stronger in their silo lane to have the knowledge and the experience from from other areas of, of retail. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit now. You're, you're at NPD Data. Let's explain what NPD Data is to the people that may not know. Yeah, so the NPD Group, a market research company, and we essentially, we are the leaders in market data, and we ground ourselves in data-driven growth. We help our partners being retailers and our clients being brands or uh, manufacturers really use data to elevate and expand and grow their businesses. That's what what's the heart and core of our business. Now, my role is quite unique. I did start on the client development side, but as of this April, I have transitioned over to be more of a, a thought leader, and I recruit retailers to be part of be our partners and elevate that data set. Now, the interesting thing is when I started at NPD about five and a half years ago, I had so much to learn and I was a sponge. I remember asking our president at the time of Canada, you know, how do I succeed? And he just says, just digest as much data as you can. And essentially, that's what I did. I knew I had the backbones of the industry, but that plus the strength of understanding of the knowledge of the data really brought the data to life and it applied to what we use it today. And the change, I remember saying to people, I'm in data five years ago and they were like, "Hmm, what's that? And today it's like, you know, the sexiest industry to be in. Everybody wants to be in data. It's, It's like currency today. So it's interesting how, you know, the market has evolved, but also how my role has evolved just from knowledge. Yeah, and you're right. When I took my first role at Walmart, I was a data analytics person and I was analyzing our flyers. That was my first two two years at Walmart. And it wasn't a sexy role uh, almost 20 years ago. Um, but now, now all of a sudden, you can't run a business without the mix of your gut instinct and the science behind everything. And that, that used to be missing. It used to be just all gut. Now it's leveraging the data and understanding those those insights to make some really key strategic decisions. And 
ah, thankfully we're at this point where we can look at that and mine that data and bring it in into insights. I mean, for years, it was just bubbling up data and you didn't know what to do with it. But now we're sophisticated enough to really glean some nuggets out of it. Uh, speaking of the nuggets, this is where you and I met a few months ago now, and you started sharing some some insights with me on Canada, where we're going as a marketplace, especially coming out of COVID. And I instantly wanted you on my podcast because I knew this this topic would be so relevant for so many people that are going to tune in. So let's let's start talking about some of those those insights. What are you seeing happening in the industries today? And we can take a few different approaches. We can focus on Canada first, or we can just look at North America uh, as a totality because I think ultimately there's as you were explaining to me, there's some trends happening in the U.S. that we know we're just we're months away from. Yeah, let's take a, a step back and start talking about when COVID entered our lives, when the pandemic hit. We can talk about North American approach because at the time the pandemic hit, we all reacted the same. And the interesting thing is when COVID came into our lives, everything came to a halt. Uh, there was two months and we can see this, the data. And this is where data really starts to tell stories. And this is what I tell everyone about data. It's not just numbers and stats. It really helps you tell a story and paint pictures. And we saw through the data that there were industries that came out of those two months of a halt showing astronomical growth. The growth accelerated. And then there were industries that really were challenged and they continue to experience challenges uh, throughout the COVID months. And, and when I refer to COVID months, I talk about the uh, months of 2020 as a whole. Now, the interesting thing is one of the main subjects that comes out of COVID, it's e-commerce. And that's what we want to talk about today. And that's the trend that we're really, it's like the elephant in the room. Whoever I talk to about COVID, one of the main conversation subjects is e-commerce and the online uh, market. And what we know today is that almost a quarter of all on, of, of all buying visits were driven through the e-commerce channel. And that's up six points from a year ago. And if we look at how that's changed over the past few years, prior to COVID, we were accelerating in about one to two points per year. So we have really accelerated the growth in terms of the the penetration of, of buying visits for online by three years. So that made retailers had to pivot and pivot fast. Yeah, that's a, it's a great point. And that growth is not just coming from people that were already engaged with, with shopping online and just them buying more frequently. We've now got a full spectrum of age groups and demographics now shopping online. Uh, I've experienced, and I've talked about this before, where this boomer generation is now um, really engaged with digital. They've been forced to. They've been forced to do their banking online. They're forced to shop online. And this audience, I'm really excited to see the trends going forward and how they stay consistent with their digital experience going forward versus do they fall back into some of the old routines? Does a, does a baby boomer really want to go to a bank and line up with a teller again? Or are they now sufficient enough to just forget that experience? So when we talk about buying visits, uh, that's anything. Like I, I reference, like yeah. you said, it could be banking, it could be grocery. We look at what's happened to the grocery industry over the past 15 months and who thought we would be having groceries delivered the way that we are. Mm -hmm. uh, it's amazing how fast we've evolved. And if we go back to all the barriers that were in place, like you said, there were so many barriers put on the baby boomers that they were afraid, they were scared of. 
a fraud with their credit cards. We look at like shipping was a problem. Uh, where do I have it shipped to, delivered to? Now we have curbside pickup. There's so many things that can come out of COVID for the better, but it's all ingrained in convenience. Uh, an example, we train our clients or customers, we can call them, um, we train them. And one of the best examples of technology training is remember before there was tap where you had to insert your debit card into the machine and, and punch in your numbers. And then tap came onto the market. And if someone said to you, oh, you have to insert your card, it was the most inconvenience thing. It was like, oh, I can't believe I need to do this. That's the way I look at like online shopping now. It's we've trained this this easy convenience of everything being at our fingertips that once we remove that, customers are just going to say, but that's an inconvenience to me. Oh, you're bang on. I laughed at that comment because my debit card actually a week ago stopped working with tap and I have to insert it again. <laughs> and it is the most annoying thing. And I actually, I said to, I said to a friend, I said, this was commonplace a number of years ago. And now I'm a big baby about it. And I want my tap back. So I, I have to call my bank tomorrow and get a new debit card because it is such, even though it's only maybe five seconds longer, it is such an inconvenience. And I saw, I sound silly even talking about it, but your, your example is bang on. It's so relevant. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's just an example of how once we get used to interacting a certain way, it becomes challenging to go back to the way things were previously, even if it is five seconds of our time. Yeah, 100%. So when, when we talk about we've got through COVID, you've been looking at the data. Um, well, I shouldn't say we've got through COVID. It's it's getting there. In Canada, we're not as fast as the U.S. They're already back in stores. You watch any sporting event now, half of them are not even wearing masks. And it, it's like it's never even happened in some, some states already. <clears throat> in Canada, we're not there yet. Um, specifically in Ontario, we're not there yet. And we're doing this slow reopening. Um, what are some of the insights that you see right off the hop that you can correlate from the U.S. to Canada that what we should be expecting as we we get more vaccines up to about 70, 75 percent of people uh, being complete. Yeah, so we're about two to three months behind the U.S. in terms of recovery stage. And we keep using the term recovery. We look at recovery in terms of data, but also in terms of growth of our industry. And what happens in starting in the March months is we start to get this false growth. Because remember when I said everything came to a halt? So we start to see astronomical growth in some of these industries that are more challenged over 2020. So for example, we see the apparel and footwear and beauty industries that really took a hit in the COVID months in 2020 start to see growth over 2020 when we compare 21. And we said, you know what, that's not really a true picture of what's happening in the market. We need to start comparing those sales to 2019. And that's where we refer to the term recovery. We start seeing some of these industries coming back. Now, what's interesting is when we compare ourselves to the US, they never really experienced the third wave and those restrictions that were applied to retail that we experienced here in Canada. So as we hunkered down into the third wave, we kind of got pushed back to behavior that was, you know, beginning of 21. Um, in some of these industries, we saw highlights of growth in March, right before third wave as we were coming out of second wave. And then we kind of hunkered back down. We're starting to see the behavior come out now as those restrictions are lifted. And now we're seeing consumer confidence also happen and start to increase. 
once the vaccination uh, penetration rates start to get higher and higher. Actually, the last time I looked at that uh, in Canada, we are the number one for partially vaccinated in terms of percent of our Canadian citizens, which is amazing. So we can look at the rate of recovery. It keeps accelerating. Um, so even though I said we're two, three months behind, I can see that really accelerating as we get to the end of July. So we, we have that penetration. We're now going to be able to go back into our stores. Um, and, you know, everyone's debating, does e-commerce stay at, you know, the... 20, 30% of, of retail sales uh, versus what your stores are doing. Um, historically, it's been about a 10% rule of thumb. Where where do we go from here? Does everyone just give up shopping online now and say, we want to get back to the stores, we want to be social, we want to get in the malls, we want to walk through them with our friends and experience that whole, um, I guess, social aspect of retailing? Or does it become more of a blend now? So remember when I mentioned that wave as we saw the sales kind of uh, really dip and then we saw recovery and then we go to the second wave and recover. Well, we saw the same thing with online penetration. You know, that 20, that percent that I was referring to in terms of buying visits, that's all industries. We're in some industries such as technology or whether it be apparel, we're seeing the online uh share be as high as 50%. And in some of those months, especially early uh, April 2020, 2020, we saw that go as high as 69, 70% of the sales were driven through online. The interesting thing is every time we came out of a lockdown, we reset at a higher level. Now, when we talk about recovery over 2020, it's natural that we're going to start to see e-commerce pull back a little. That doesn't mean the consumer is shifting dramatically back to brick and mortar. We know the consumer is going to go back to brick and mortar, but where will e-commerce net out? And that's somewhere between the levels of the highest uh, share of online sales of that 50% and to where we were prior to COVID in our lives. We're going to see that still, still dramatic increases over 2019. That, that makes a lot of people happy, especially as I start planning my, my P&L for next year already. Um, I struggled last year. Honestly, I was trying to figure out where, how am I going to comp the COVID of, you know, the first and second quarter of last year? How would I comp it in 2021? And we debated over many months to say, it's just, it's not going to, we're not going to comp it. Like you, we look back at 2019 data and said, okay, we're going to end up comping 2019. But then we decided to be a little bit more aggressive with our with our numbers, thinking that the audience has already established some habits. And um, and then all of a sudden, wave three happens, and then you blow away your numbers because we you couldn't have planned for another wave to happen in, in Canada. So I think e-commerce has been <clears throat> really kind of fortunate for from having this experience and accelerating our logistics to get better, our processes to improve much faster than than we want, and then. Obviously, the amount of new technology, whether it be drone delivery or artificial intelligence being infused into e-commerce at this point is, is staggering. And I think, you know, the retailers that uh, continue to put their foot on the gas for um, more efficiencies and better customer service will will actually have a really strong 2022 because those customers, I feel strongly that are going to go back to store. They're going to have that that kind of halo effect that 
ultimately you go in, you you have this fantasy built up of how great the, the in-store experience was in your mind. But the reality is <clears throat> once you get back there, you're going to remember all the things that you didn't like about shopping in a store, whether it be pushy people, customers around you, the, the assortment, not having your sizes in store. Like there's a lot of challenges with traditional retail that I don't think we focused on overcoming um, while we've had this break with our stores. And I think once customers see those, those experiences again, they're going to go back to shopping. Like from a jeans perspective, if I know I'm a 32 and I know that I buy my, my specific jeans from a specific retailer on a certain cadence, I really don't have to go back into that store. That's a, that's an easy type of item for, for a gentleman to buy. Anyways, I know you, you love fashion, so it might be a different topic for, for you, but from, from my standpoint, a medium golf shirt, easy enough to go and buy and a pair of jeans at a 32 waist, no problem. Online is the way to go. Now there's other categories where I really do enjoy being at the store and, and going through it. Like as I look at my different cell phone options, I, I love to be able to go and look, touch, feel, explore those, those phones or cell, cellular technologies. But um, from a fashion perspective, as a guy, I, I don't think I will be in the store too often because I can now just buy my sizes. I'm comfortable with that experience of shopping that way because I've been forced to for the last year. Well, Chris, you touched on a few points that I think we need to highlight here. One of them is the future of the store mm. because now, as I said, some industries uh, that we track have about a 50% share for e-commerce. So in a world where you have 50% of your sales driven through e-commerce, what does your store look like? And like you said, do you need to go to the store to pick up the shirt that you already know? Probably not. But you do need that store to have a relationship, to build a bond, to have an experience for servicing. And we're already starting to see retailers pivot within their stores. And that's one of the things that surprised me the most was how agile retailers were to change their strategy in 2020, how to understand what the consumer wants, how to deliver products better to them, whether it be curbside pickup or you know pick up at a different location to engage with them through social media when we couldn't engage in the stores. All of these things have happened so fast. I had been watching them for years and they were fluffy subjects, as some people like to call. But today when I talk about them, especially social media and, and the interaction, it's like all ears open because everyone's realizing this is the reality we live in. It might have been fluffy a few years ago, but it's extremely important today. So it's all about that omni experience. Like the future of the store has to blend with technology and technology has to blend with the relationship building. And that's what we need to watch for the future. Yeah, I agree. I think ultimately we should be spending the next number of months really, um, even myself included, I've had this conversation of not being in my office and really being at the store level over the next few months so we can understand what shoppers are experiencing, what their what their opportunities are, how they want us to transform. Like we have our gut instincts, we have some of the insights, but <clears throat> ultimately I think we should really be paying attention to customers in store to see what their new expectations are because we're going to gain some really good insights listening to to them and seeing how they're interacting now that they're basically you know they've they've now lived through an experience that they're going to have different expectations on us. And uh, I think just gathering that insight is going to be so critical over the next few months. But do it in store. 
Don't do it through a survey online. You need to have those interactions and that dialogue with a customer to gain that perspective. I think surveys are important, but I also think that dialogue and making sure you can ask follow-up questions real time with a consumer is going to be key. So real time, that's interesting because now we know the digital world has evolved for real time. For sure. Like there's that virtual shopping events that are happening. Um, The technology hasn't fully come to Canada yet. So it's something that we're watching for Canada, but it definitely has made mountains of movement in China and now in the U.S. So we're seeing how the two worlds are colliding, and that's what we are are looking at for the future of retail. Yeah, that live commerce um, aspect is is intriguing. I mean, there's definitely retailers that have been doing that. The Shopping Channel or TCS, as they're known now, has been doing something similar uh, for many years. Um, but ultimately now live commerce and leveraging influencers to do that selling gives it a more a more authentic feel versus a salesperson in front of a camera and being slightly scripted. So live commerce is something I've been watching. Uh, actually, I think I saw it the first time on one of your decks and I've been doing so much research on it. And I think it's it's a great way for consumers to gain confidence on what they're buying when they see, see it done through an influence or someone that mm-hmm. they're following. And the other piece is that whole social commerce and leveraging platforms outside of your core e-commerce platform to sell on, basically taking the concept to sell where the customer is at at the moment that they're, they're there and they're engaging versus trying to get everyone to come to your core platform, I think is going to be a key trend to keep watching. Uh, social commerce is, is something that I, I believe when you look at the use of YouTube and the use of something like TikTok, for example, and how how that younger generation is using that tool, I think there's always been a battle for a way for a retailer to actually insert themselves into those. But if, if you can find a way to have commerce part of the dialogue where it's not an advertisement, but it's part of that experience, then we're going to have some big wins from, from a social commerce perspective. Yeah. We know that a, over a quarter of online sales were driven through social media And we know that over a quarter of in-store sales were researched on social media and it gets higher and higher as we look at those younger generations. So we know as those younger generations age and they become extremely more and more important to our market, that social commerce will continue to be more important for retail. Yeah, I love that stat about the uh, quarter of of the sales coming from from social. And I think, you know, as you think of omni-channel, a lot of times e-commerce will plan its own P&L and um, what you, what we're missing is objectives cross-functional channels within the business. So, you know, if uh, if social is going to deliver a quarter of your e-commerce sales, they should have that as an objective in their in their annual review. And same with you know email or the merchants. All of them should be tied to growing the total business and not just be this channel is going to focus on the stores and this channel is going to focus on the e-commerce. It's how do we impact the growth of each of all the channels for the organization? The consumer doesn't look at two channels. And I think this is what retailers need to start thinking about is how does the consumer see it? At the end, it has to be seamless across any channel, no matter how you're purchasing it and how the checkout is done. And that's what I keep talking about is you can segment your business and look at different departments all you want. But if it's not seamless to the consumer, it doesn't matter. So looking at the blend. Customer-centric approach is is definitely something that we have to consider and stop looking at our own, how we're rewarded as individuals at a company and look at how the customer shops with us. And then we will get rewarded properly because they will put their dollars in the business that they believe in 
where it's it's seamless, right? Like mm-hmm. they shouldn't be thinking that it's e-commerce, it's social. They should be thinking of our brand and how they want to interact with us and allow them that flexibility. Yeah, I love that. And that, you know, thinking about consumer born, there goes that full circle. Uh, when I made the pivot in my career and was talking about market born trends versus consumer born trends. And today all we're watching is consumer born trends, what the consumer wants. And that's something where at NPD, we can look at the data coming from the consumer, also from what is actually being sold and what they're telling us. So it's interesting when we see this, and yes, we can segment e-commerce sales versus brick and mortar sales, but even for us, we're we're looking at new ways to evaluate the data and analyze the data and how they're integrated together, because that's the future. And that's the way you know retailers need to look at things going forward. And as the years progress, or I shouldn't even say years, I should say months progress in the new world that we're working in, we're going to see things continuously change at a rapid rate. So Tamara, because we can spend another hour going through all kinds of data points, um, and then eventually um, you wouldn't have a presentation to give to anyone else, I would like to have our audience know how to get a hold of you so that they can have further dialogue and get as excited about the data points that you talked about like I was. When when you started sharing your slides with me, I was blown away with the information that, that you were able to bring to, to our organization and help me have a better understanding of where the trends are going. And while I have a good gut instinct because I've been in retail long enough, some of it was validating and some of it was net new information, which was eye-opening and allowed me to start thinking differently and then go back to my team and get them to start thinking differently as well. So how can people get a hold of you? Well, thank you for saying that very much, Chris. I appreciate that. Uh, you can get a hold of me through LinkedIn, so at Tamara Zames, uh, as well as I write blogs. You can find us on npd.com. Um, there is ample ways to contact anyone at NPD, as well as business development. If you would like to hear more, we're happy to help and continue this conversation. That's awesome. So thank you so much for being part of Delivering E-Commerce. I greatly appreciate it. Having a guest like you is something we haven't had on on the, the show so far. So I really appreciate the different spin and the approach to analytics that your team is taking. You guys are a valuable part of the retail mix. And I think everyone should reach out to, to you because um, it's just going to make them a better retailer by having this partnership with you guys. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Chris. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Delivering E-Commerce. It's our passion to have on leaders and suppliers in e-commerce from around the globe, setting you and your strategy up for the next level. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review, and we'll be back soon. Connect with Chris on LinkedIn at Chris Parsons on LinkedIn and Spotify at Delivering E-Commerce or on YouTube at Chris Parsons Delivering E-Commerce. Till next time, this is Delivering E-Commerce.